welcome to the Astro All-Stars podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa Montgomery, pro astrologer and author of Star Power and Cosmic Power. This podcast is for you if you're an astro-curious modern mystic and ready to free your mind, own your power and create your world. Let's go. Welcome back to the Astro All-Stars podcast. I'm Vanessa Montgomery, your host. And today we have a very special guest, Alexander Boxer, who has written a book that I found in our local library here in Australia called A Scheme of Heaven. Thanks for coming on to the podcast, Alexander. Thanks for having me. Why this stood out to me was Alexander is not an astrologer. I'm going to read from the back of the book. Uh, he's a data scientist with a PhD in physics and degrees in the history of science and classics. His research has appeared in Nature Physics and he was Atlas Obscura's original Washington, D.C. field agent. And you've said you've born on the cusp of Taurus, Gemini, and your daydreams are stubbornly meticulous. So you seem to really embrace things you're interested in and go very in-depth and thorough because this is an amazing venture into, as you call yourself, a curious skeptic, right? Yeah, I describe the book as a, a curious skeptic's guide to astrology because that, I think, describes me and, and how I saw the project. Exactly. Yes. And we all come to astrology in our own ways. I suppose it keeps you a little detached and preserves your career just a little bit in the sciences, <laughs> like <laughs> a little position of safety, perhaps. If you want, I can speak a little bit about the motivation behind the book or what kind of drew me to the project. Yeah, uh, let's do that because it's very interesting and you've been so thorough and you probably know more about it all than most astrologers. <laughs> I feel like everybody has something to, to 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 teach, and everybody has something to learn. So I, you know, love talking to to other people. But uh, so my my particular background, as you mentioned, yes, so uh, it's in physics. I have a, a PhD in physics from from MIT, and um, got very much involved in the machine learning and sort of artificial intelligence world uh, mm -hmm. for about ten years. After that, you know, spent a lot of time making forecasting algorithms, you know, business forecasting algorithms, etc. And just kind of got very, very interested in this idea of, uh, you know, to what extent can can anyone predict the future? Now, at the time, I was living in Washington D.C. I wrote the book while living in Washington D.C. And I I lived through what, and certainly for an American audience, I thought was one of the most memorably spectacular failures of prediction, which was, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton was supposed to win in 2016 by, you know, double digits, and so you had all of these statistical forecasts, poll aggregations and whatever that were hilariously wrong, you know, and they were always very precise too, you know, it was 91.3% mm. chance she was going to win or who knows what. And so it just kind of got me thinking, to what extent can we predict the future? And to what extent are we, sometimes uh, they uh, describe economics as a, a sort of a astrology. I, I've heard... Uh, I guess not to, to bring gender too much into it. I was her economics described as astrology for men, you know, that there's like the same kind of, you know. Yeah, right. I still get to like forecast and play in the future. Right, right, right. And so I kind of got interested in the idea that are we really able to predict anything today better than astrology? And I kind of then got very interested in, you know, how astrology works. And then it kind of occurred to me that there's this incredible thread that connects us today from, you know, what ancient astrologers have been doing for thousands of years of 
one asking very similar questions, questions that are just deeply interesting about, you know, who we are, where we are, and, you know, what's, what's going to happen. And looking for the answers to those questions oftentimes in the same types of places that you know, the answer is somewhere in a form of numerical data. Mm. And it, it seemed to me a very uh, human premise that we're really no different than, you know, we're, we're kind of all doing the same thing. And in many cases, doing it in very similar ways. And I kind of wanted to just sort of emphasize, and, and particularly from an ancient astrology point of view, uh, I, I have a long running interest in the history of science and particularly history of ancient science. And so it was it was a bold step because, yes, I'm not an astrologer, but I, I thought it was a book that I kind of wanted to read. I wrote the book that I wanted to read. I don't know if anybody else wants to read it, but I wrote the book that I wanted to read. And part of the book that I wanted to read was to have someone look at astrology, but who maybe wasn't an astrologer. Yeah. I mean, wonderful books out there about astrology by astrologers. And I, I tried my best to read as many of them as I could, but it seemed like there was sort of a, a hole out there for a book looking yes. at astrology. Well, that's what drew me to it. I had a quick flick through it. There was another book in the library because I've been getting really interested in history as well the last few years and looking back at different things and just taking this much wider lens look at everything about what's happening today, what happened before, how was it uh, on various things. And uh, I thought, oh, I'm just going to dive more into the astrological side. And yours stood out because it just had a different flavor to it. And that's why I read yours first. I just thought that's very interesting. I liked your detachment also that you just went for it. And it did, reading it, I did feel really connected to the past and I had a real sense of, I guess, just the natural. It just feels like so much more natural when you go back to those times as well. It's interesting you've got a lot of planets in Taurus because it felt very earthy and (laughs) Taurus-y. Just looking at it from that different lens, like I'm a really big fan of cross-disciplines. I think that it always turns up the most interesting things, regardless of the, what those disciplines are. So that's what you've just done with this. And I wondered if you're into history and of mathematics and things like that. So were you coming across astrological references and because it was all meshed into one, mathematicians, astronomers, astrologers? Of course. And mm. and, and there's a hugely important point, and it was one of the reasons that I was so excited to write the book is that I think the history of astrology is the greatest history of science story that's never really been told. That well, I think too many people are happy to say astrology was sort of a, a sideshow in the history of science. It became increasingly clear that that wasn't true mm. to the point where I decided that far from being off to the side, it really kind of was the main event because it's through astrology that you have this meeting of science and mathematics. And I think that we're all kind of taught in the modern world that the two are inseparable and that you can't have one without the other. But in fact, their relationship is actually not totally simple. It's very problematic. And, you know, I think our modern world is in some cases rediscovering a lot of the problems that the ancient people, ancient thinkers thought very, very deeply about Mm. in a way that modern thinkers can be quite glib about. You know, mm-hmm. well, just and, and I think you see this in a lot of the mathematical models that you have today, and the way in which all you have to do is sort of show a, a, a chart or a graph and make it look mathematical, and, and ah, that must mean it's scientific. Yes. And in fact, it's certainly not the case. And I think astrology was, you know, really at the forefront of saying no. Well, well one dealing with the pitfalls of this, but also saying no, no, no. Mathematics really is a language that describes the world, and that argument in a sense was won 
so profoundly that people forget that there was an argument. And so in a sense, the astrological point of view throughout history was, was vindicated, uh, although oddly enough, astrologers themselves kind of got you know left behind. I very much wanted to target a history of science audience with the book. Mm. I don't know if I succeeded in that way, because I, I think that much of the readership comes to it from an astrological interest. And I think to this day, a lot of history of science, history of astronomy, history of mathematics people, they see the word astrology and they say, okay, that's not. Yes. Um, that's not what I'm interested in. So I think in, in, in that sense, I wish I wish I had uh, more success in telling that story to the yeah. audience that I was aiming for. But I'm also, of course, thrilled to tell the flip side of that story to the you know people who come at it from, from the astrology point yeah. of view. And that's the thing. I mean, people that are going to embrace astrology naturally probably going to be that bit more open-minded. I have found about the community that get right into it, you know, beyond horoscopes and very popular level astrology. They're very bright. They're very nerdy. Astrology is a very heady kind of, you could call it a science system. Let's call it a system. And so they are going to be like me more into, oh, wow, that's really amazing. Let's look more into that. Again, I think the data approach is super interesting. I was interested just from watching how statistics and data was being presented and the models being used over COVID at the beginning, because I don't come from that kind of a background, but it was just such a big deal and we all had a bit of skin in the game with that. And it was really wrong. <laughs> and everyone's saying, trust the science. And I was thinking, yeah, but scientists don't even agree with each other. It's a fight. My cousin is a professor in the Sydney University and he tells me all about what happens in there. And it's just this fight for dominance about whose ideas right and careers are built on being the one. And if new information comes along, the people at the top don't want their career sort of sidelined. So they hold on to their old information and aren't open to what I think is true science, which is really continuing to being open to progression, you know, as new information comes to light and keeping an open mind. I don't usually volunteer to bring this up, but I'm, I'm kind of glad you brought it up. But yeah, it, in some sense, it kills me that my book came out right before COVID for several reasons. But one, you know, COVID was the, the ultimate example of how yes. here we all are following these forecasts, which are ridiculous. Forecasts, uh, exactly. But, but, you know, they, they, they seem to have this scientific precision about them. We all say, wow, sounds great. And uh, that was... The, the sort of meta theme of my book, even though, you know, COVID hadn't happened yet, but that, you know, especially when it comes to predicting the future, are we, are we really any better than people have ever been? It wasn't that I wanted to say, hey, you know, maybe astrology is, is good at predicting the future. It was more like I kind of wanted to say, we're all kind of bad at predicting the future. And that I actually think that there's a lot of humbling lessons to take from that, that there's sort of a larger story there of our fascination with and seduction with numbers and, mm. and charts and figures. And, and and to me, astrology is kind of the, just the original experiment that we have with this, both, you know, how you can, on the one hand, find really amazing things, but on the other hand, deceive both yourself and other people. One of the things that was the traditional style of astrology is really coming back, like astrology is having quite a renaissance, interestingly, and the uncertainty that COVID has revealed. I think that it's driven a need for certainty. That was my theory. And that's why I think that the traditional astrology is 
gained so much popularity. I'm a modern astrologer, but I'm open to learning all these things. And modern astrology is built on the fundamentals of traditional. So totally open to all the things and seeing how they connect open to learning more and it's it's all about observation you'll never get to the end of it let's just see it's interesting in the meantime but I think it's the idea of a need for certainty and traditional astrology lends the illusion of certainty whereas modern psychological astrology it's more personal it's more about you it's a, I see it as a framework for understanding oneself because it's just built of all the main archetypes you can use your intuition within that framework you can open discussion and maybe it's a bit too fluffy <laughs> for these times, a bit too like that. So it's very interesting that certainty and maybe numbers and data and that rational, that rational side that our society is leaning more and more into, but it's an illusion. And I liked that that's what you were bringing up and you were demonstrating how these things work and you were using them on different types of forecasting and you come up with your own models for things. And I really liked how you were showing that and calling it all algorithms, making it very current as well because yeah we don't really know yeah, it's just generally the way the book is set up is uh, every chapter essentially is a question that I had about astrology mm. you know just a real basic question I had and then I would look for an, an author who talked about that specific question and then to the extent that that was possible I'd also try to uh, investigate the question using modern data say okay well how would mm. how would I you know approach this question mm. and so I was really trying to mix the two and and hopefully show that the questions that these people are asking and the the things that they're attempting to do were really very ambitious, especially for the time. And you mentioned modern astrology, and it, it is a distinction that that I guess I, I also agree with that around the 20th century, I think astrology really did change. And I think it changed, you know, in order to, to, to survive. But it's also why my book focuses so much on ancient astrology, because it, it was much more mathematical and mm, yes and I mean we're so distanced from the mathematics of it because as you say in the book we have computers to do all that work I don't know if I'd be trawling through creating all these charts if I didn't have a computer to do it for me to be honest <laughs> maybe I would because I'm so interested in it but how laborious it's interesting what you were saying you know sort of going back to before that astrology really drove a lot of development in mathematics and especially the tools we use and even clocks coming from the astrolabe that's used to calculate everything you know that's fascinating I didn't think about clocks coming from there so to back up a little bit maybe what I, I should have said earlier was that the thing that drew me to astrology at least from a historical point of view, was I have been obsessed for, I guess, a couple of decades now with a device you mentioned called the Astrolabe, mm. which you don't know what it is for your listeners. It's this incredibly beautiful and very ancient mathematical astronom astronomical calculator. And by ancient, uh, it goes back to sort of the Greco-Roman times. And I uh, have been interested in many years, and, and I think you I believe, yeah, you have discovered this because I, I think you you tweeted about it. I've been involved for, for a number of years, just out of personal curiosity, making an online version of, of an astrolabe, one that you could sort of manipulate through a web browser and get all the functionality. And I'd sort of work on this over the years. And, and people, there are lots of people out there interested in astrolabes. There are lots of astrolabe websites out there, although I, I think mine's best, but that's a matter of personal <laughs> opinion. But people would always ask me, well, what, what is you know, what, what did an astrolabe really do? 
And the standard answer is, well, you know, it, could, it, it was sort of an astronomical calculator. Okay, that's neat. It shows you a model of the, the solar system. Well, that's neat. And at some point, it just kind of uh, occurred to me that, no, the killer app of the astrolabe was astrology. The reason the astrolabe was everywhere and you know, what it's really designed to do really, really well and what's very hard to do without it is to compute rising times mm -hmm. where you are. And so especially from an ancient astrological point of view, the, the rising times and the ascendance, that's everything. And so here with the one simple little set of wheels that you could turn, you could see the rising sign, the rising time of any, you could, you could forecast the rising time of any planet or star, you know, just by looking at it. It's an incredible device. And yeah, at some point it, it, it just sort of struck me that no, people weren't building these things for thousands of years and carrying them around everywhere because they were sort of a very elegant model of the heavens, although they were, they were doing it because they use, were using them for astrology. And yeah. so in my book, I end up calling it the, the astrology machine. So that that's probably the most honest answer of what drove me to become interested in, in, in astrology, in particular ancient astrologies, by going through all of these calculations and, and sort of recreating this, this device, I, I felt like I understood maybe in a way that many modern astrologers don't, and that's not to, to criticize, just sort of say it's, it's sort of a different thing. I, I kind of understood in sort of this intimate way, like, oh, what kind of the game was, at least in the ancient sense of like, ah, okay, I can, I can tell where all these things are. And, and, uh, yeah. and then it, well, then what does that tell me about, myself in the world so that was maybe what gave me the initial injection of uh i don't know chutzpah or whatever that i could say something about astrology which is of course a huge huge thing that's uh, but it's so interwoven it's just so interwoven and i think you're really good at bringing that in and, and explaining that and showing us that timeline and just getting a sense of how at the center this was and of course at the center of that that need to know Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, well, very I, all too human I'm, need to know. I'm a strong believer in the sense that we're certainly we're not superior to the people who lived lived before us. That no, I all, mean we're only here because of them, right? That's right. We're only that, here you know, because I think of them. It, so I, I think there's sort of this bias that oh well we have uh, you know we have iPhones or something. Gosh, they were so stupid back then. Uh, when in fact, right? I mean. It's oftentimes just the opposite. Yeah, the Astrolabe such a good example of they had it happening and they're so beautiful. I've seen them as well in museums and they're just fascinating. Yeah, that grabbed me as well, how delicate they are. And like they look like jewellery in times when things were handcrafted so beautifully, like form and function of the ultimate. Yeah, they are the, they're the ultimate marriage of form and function. And and just a shameless plug, if anyone wants to, to see it, yes. um, you can go to my website, alexboxer.com and there it is. Yes, yeah, so go to Alexander's website and you can put in any date so you can have an image on the astrolabe of that date. Otherwise, it's just clocking through the current cycle for right now. You can get a view of the heavens. So this a scheme of heaven is the name of your book. And that's what at one point the horoscopes were called a scheme of heaven, not a horoscope. And I was interested to learn because I didn't know horoscope actually referred to the ascendant, the rising, not the full chart. That, that's right. That, that was a surprise to me in the course of my research that the, the horoscope was the Greek word for the ascendant. And, yeah. and so just to give you a sense of, to underscore how important the ascendant was in ancient horoscopes, that was the horoscope. 
And yeah, yeah, so it was really focused on that. And it was looking like maybe some people were identifying more with their ascendant sign, not their sun sign, like we do now. It was more like, well, what's your ascendant? That's your your, your sign. Yeah, so I, this, uh, this idea that, of course, that you you know, could have a, a sun and done or whatever, you just the sun sign is a very 20th century uh, innovation. And a lot of it was driven by coming up with a compelling format for magazines and newspapers, because, you know, a traditional horoscope would be a very, very personal, you know, chart, there'd be lots of detail in it, as is the case with, a you know, with modern personal horoscopes. But of course, you can't really do a a personal horoscope for for a newspaper, right? It's, it's only it's only of interest to one person, and so at some point, as magazines and newspapers all competed for audience, somebody came up with, "Hey, let's just let's just write a forecast for you know the zodiac signs." <laughs> Great idea, get, brilliant. Get one of the twelve people. Yeah, and I do. You know, full disclosure, I'm the resident astrologer for Glamour magazine, and I wrote a weekly horoscope. I never thought I'd be writing sun sign horoscopes because I learned the full art, but it came along and how could I say no? So that's been really interesting to do that. It's so simplified, but you know, it's what it is. People people love it. Yeah. And I saw some statistic. I need to find what that is again about if people just read something that's very affirming or positive in their horoscope, there's some percent, or was that in your book? I can't even remember now. Yeah, so what, we talk about that a bit in, in the book, yes. There, uh, yeah, so there, maybe that's where I read it. So well, so I mean, the, the, the larger phrase would be confirmation bias, but the, the specific term that people will say is a, the Barnum effect, where there's something for everybody, so yes. Yeah, if you read something positive, and I always try to keep things pretty affirming and take the positive spin on it as much as possible, it sets you up for where your mind goes, energy flows, right? So, so much is about mindset and you can definitely skew it to the themes of each sign, but exactly like there's so much going on for an individual that 12 signs for all the people reading it is pretty wild, but I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to have open-minded. I'll just do it and we'll see. Hopefully I hit the right notes. And well, I also studied, uh, I'll just say this, I also studied fashion and the way I see it is it's a high street fashion, one size fits all, whereas actually the truth of it, you can make it bespoke. But yeah, how can you make bespoke for everyone reading? It's impossible. I like the word because I, I use the word bespoke uh, also in my book to describe uh, an ancient Roman horoscope that they were it was, it was bespoke. But you know, that's one thing I actually kind of admire about modern astrology is that uh, in some sense, by framing it as, hey, here are sort of ways to focus your energy or ways to focus your day, there's, not, there's nothing that much to object to. Whereas, of course, ancient astrology was very interested in predicting very specific things. Mm. And I, 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 I am aware that traditional or Hellenistic astrology is, is much more popular today or is, is having a surge of popularity today. But I think, you know, the tricky part is when you start making specific predictions, you'll soon discover that yes. you know, when very, you're able to be wrong, it's... Uh, it's very yeah. interesting. Well, the thing I like about modern astrology is, like, I don't call horoscopes modern astrology. I feel like that's it's like a high street version. So it's very accessible newspaper thing uh, or magazine. It's more like I really like looking into birth charts, having the conversation one-on-one, looking at the transits for that person. I also, full disclosure, do have a book on prediction <laughs> coming out in uh-huh. on the 10th of November, very soon. 
And I don't give a cookbook of everything. I'm like, this is the themes of the planets. Here's some history. Loved learning about all of that. This is how you put it all together. Now you go and use it yourself. You do it. No, I'm not going to do it for well, you. Yeah. I can't tell you. But in terms of prediction with modern astrology, it's definitely still used. I'll do it in terms of like that's not my drive as much as on a personal level with it. But I do think it's, I always think it's interesting because when I was studying fashion, which was around 2000 years ago, I was also pursuing astrology and I was noticing trends aligning with, you know, just big broad themes, trends aligning with the outer planets basically. And looking back at the history of design and trends again, I was like, oh, and how does that correlate to, the astrology and it was really correlating and I was just like that's really interesting so I quite like that I don't like to say two specific events but I do like to say a theme like there's themes that you can definitely get the ballpark a hundred percent depending on the ability of the astrologer and I like that you also put that in towards the end of your book there's a lot of skeptics trying to disprove but all they're disproving is the astrology astrologer's ability you can't really disprove astrology itself I suppose which is the way I look at it, it. Well, right I wanted to kind of tear down you know some of the from the from the scientific side there's a lot of very glib arguments against astrology that are made whereas it seemed to me like well I don't know I mean, how do you know it's if, if you're so certain it's wrong how do you know you know, mm. and, and actually to even answer that question is, is very difficult. Um, yeah. Well, I was going to say, I, I, of course, for writing the book, I accumulated, you know, quite a library of astrology books. So I'd, I'd, I'll, I'll be on the lookout for years. I'd love to have um, add yours to my little, my little astrology. Okay. Library. It's called Astro Power. <laughs> Astro Power. Oh. Astro Power, a simple guide to prediction and, and destiny for the modern mystic. I should have put on a tag and scientist. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, some, some some scientists can have a, have a mystical side to them. Yeah, and it was you. You know, I like that you kept focusing on that was all one thing, and I really like that holistic approach to things. And I think there's certainly room for people being in their little compartments, but everything if everything's compartmentalized, like they need to talk. Everything needs to talk. We're going to get so much further if they do right in life and oh, evolution. Yeah. And I think that the more we talk, the more we realize that, gosh, we're all really- <laughs> No one knows anything. <laughs> well, we want that. And, but two, that, hey, we're all kind of, we're all kind of, we, we want to know the same things and, and yeah. you know, no reason to get, no reason to get angry at people because I, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird humans, but there's lots of fascinating things in your book. I love, you have a few one-liners that are hilarious, sense of humor, very <laughs> funny. And I'll say uh, for the listeners, Alexander has a massive stellium in Taurus, lots of earth, but there's this moon in Aquarius natally, which is associated with astrology, Aquarius, of course, and science also. So I think that it's interesting that you've still got this side that's open-minded to things. Like I think that's true science when you can be still open to things and bring it in and and test it like you've done this deep dive into it whereas I never get put off by skeptics because I just say well have you studied astrology to understand if it works or not and most people that say they don't you know there's no believing in it how can you believe in it but as a system is this useful how can you be a skeptic if you haven't even investigated it right and and that, that's certainly true in the, and you investigated the it it's great 
it's just you know right you just you can't touch it with a 10-foot pole and and you know when there's something you can't touch with a 10-foot pole like I, someone like me is like huh that sounds really interesting. That's like, it. Oh, I'm gonna. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Towards the end, you start talking about machine learning, and I thought that was really interesting because you'd also said in the book that astrology drove technology in a certain way, and then kind of jettisons off. Is it called like the spaceship, the actual astrology, and moved forward? But now the technology, because of the technology astrology is being built back in and that's supporting the astrology I thought that was really interesting and at some point I'm wondering because it is a system machine learning when it's got all the components could probably be a better astrologer than a human <laughs> and take all our jobs uh, possibly I yeah really I mean I, I, I'm fairly certain there are some um, AI horoscopes out there that you know kind of just gather all the the texts and you know kind of I think they're gonna out. get better because it's about synthesis like I know you can get the printouts and you said in your book you had done that but they're not synthesized so much they're like components so an astrologer can look at the chart and synthesize it but I think machine learning will be able to do that at some point and if they can access all the data points on individuals right. and put that in with it so that you have that human context look out that's going to be very interesting well so that was kind of the point uh, maybe that i was trying to make that put astrology to one to one side we basically have algorithms out there that are learning about you and they basically just consume whatever data they can yes. and then they start to you know find patterns and so oftentimes it's the the case in these sort of machine learning algorithms that the more data the better so throwing in something like the planets uh, is something that I've actually, you know, sometimes will do just for fun because, you know, hey, why not? Maybe there's correlations in there. And, you know, these, these these algorithms just, you know, they just eat data. Uh, but right, we have, uh, you know, your phone knows so much about you. You know, all these all these things know so much about you. And right, to to what extent are we, you know, prepared to live in a world where maybe we are predictable? I don't know. Well, we already, um, yeah, we already are. Right. And to some extent, yes. It's so far ahead of us, apparently. And I always keep that consciousness about what social apps throw up. And you can see the connection it's making to the last thing you looked at. You know, I can see that happening, but there's going to be a point where it's going to be so seamless. We won't be able to even notice that. That was like one of the biggest takeaways for me was that machine learning thing and also astrology being supported like it's this weird big cycle you know got dropped out and then it's got dropped right back in it's driving it's all driving astrology <laughs> it's yeah well, so the, i think the, the the sort of cycle i kind of had in mind was that you know in some sense you know these ancient astrological algorithms sort of crunched a bunch of numbers and and you know came up with some different forecasts and if you were to ask people why why do they work you know maybe there'd be some explanation, but the answer may have just been, well, they just work. You know, we, we believe that they work. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to explain why they just, they just work. And, and so that, that's what I would call an unempirical model where, yeah. you know, Hey, you had a bunch of people looking at stuff and it, this seems to be the pattern. And in, in many ways, sort of the classical scientific revolution throws that out the window and says, no, we really want to understand why things happen. But now with all of our data, Nobody cares, you know, why something is. It's really sort of just back to giant pattern matching at enormous scale. Yes. Which in, in many ways is, you know, very much astrology-like, even if there's no planets involved. Yes. Like stars and, 
it's uh, it, it's returning to the sort of empirical an empirical world. So that's I, what I thought was really interesting. And you know, you're humble enough to say that coming from that world as well. Yeah, well, there's nothing I like more than I guess pointing out that you know most of these modern algorithms are in many cases highly ridiculous. But most <laughs> people like I, right. I have to be careful who I, you know, who, who who the audience is, right? But the way everyone, you know, was following these squiggles on these COVID charts. Yes, exactly. You know, well, even I noticed that, and I'm not a chart data person, and I was just, this is ridiculous. I did a lot of research and listening to people from different angles that were, you know, consulting governments, not just like Joe from next door, and that's what some of them were saying and they were explaining all of that and I was just like that's very interesting and then looking at how things were being presented and what wasn't being said and I was like this right I'm getting a picture here and being told to follow the science and not question is the complete opposite of what science actually is so it's like the same thing crazy that like the skeptic was a was a dirty word or something oh gosh it drives me nuts but that that's the point I, I think that you know, I touch upon repeatedly in the book, but it's yes. not, it's not like, I'm not hammering it with a, with a giant hammer, but it's the point I'm deeply interested in that, you know, as sort of a purely marketing, whatever the, the world I'm in now calls itself data science. Mm. I mean, my background's physics, the whole transition to data science, I find strange, you know, but it's called data science. But what I find most fascinating is I think of it as more of like data rhetoric Right. Mm. Uh, and, and astrology to me is sort of the original encapsulation of this, that you can have data and you can treat it in mathematically sophisticated and proper ways. But at the end of the day, there's still a story to be told. And what people don't realize is that, you know, it, it's a form of rhetoric, that a good rhetorician, mm. like a lawyer, is expected to be able to argue a point from at least two sides, if not more. Yeah. You know, you should be able to make the argument for the defense and the prosecution. Well, a good data scientist, uh, whether they realize it or not, can do the same, right? In many cases, you are creating, you know, charts and figures to support something that somebody's already decided to do. And and people, I sometimes take for granted how maybe foreign this is that like, you know, right, sometimes people just don't see it when it's like sitting, you know, staring you flat in the face. Like this is, this is a sort of artful, an artful construction. Yeah make you come to certain uh, a certain conclusion like yes there's data in it but you know you can rearrange it in this way and tell a totally different story and i think that to me astrology is interesting because you have the data which is the positions of the the planets and stars and whatever and that's in a sense un uh controversial yes but then the story that you tell from it is in many ways a a truly creative act and so how you get from um numbers to words is something that I find deeply fascinating. I think it's not, attention's not really paid to it. And if attention is to be paid to it, I think astrology is the first place people should look. Yeah. The search for meaning. There's a few thousand year history of it. Absolutely. Very fascinating. And speaking of which, let's jump back to, I thought this was interesting, you know, astrology's revival, well, one of the revivals was Augustus who was billing himself as a Capricorn, which could have meant that was his rising sign. The calendar was different at that time, you're saying, so we can't really find his chart as we would see it. But I thought it was interesting that he was right into it. He had himself branded as a Capricorn on the money of the time. And then he outlawed astrology and divination. 
because he loved it so much. Like, all oh, mine, it's security, it's intelligence only. It was specifically on uh, no divination, read the timing of people's death. Yeah. So, right. What, what better way to endorse the power of a particular technique right. than to ban it? And don't so, we so, yeah, want to know? That was, one of the, that, that was one of the fun, well, so much of the book to me was just so much fun. But yeah. realizing, you know, I had certain preconceptions about astrology and its history. But one of the things that like really came home to me was how Roman astrology is. Mm. I know that it has beginnings in Babylon and you know, there's some Egyptian thrown in and of course a lot of Greek, but it's really the Roman empire that embraces it and spreads it. And it's it's happening at the same time of Christianity and that you know, these two are, are in many ways, their history is very similar. Yes. They're, they start out small and it's it's through the megaphone of the Roman empire that they they really just go global. So, and then learning that the Emperor Augustus, that nobody knows why he's a Capricorn. It was like so fascinating. You know, I was like, all right, I'm going to figure this out. But of course, I, you know, lots of people have tried. I, I, right. It's, it's, it's completely unclear why the guy's a Capricorn because, you know, he was born not in December or January. I mean, he, yeah, it's, it's, it's unclear. So maybe, yeah, the rising, maybe he just liked what Capricorn was about <laughs> and identified as a Capricorn, even if he wasn't. You know, when, you're, I don't when you're the emperor, you could do that. Yeah. But, but right. And the idea that astrology, you know, it was essentially like a classified technology, right? I mean, this idea that you would ban something, not because you think it's bad, but because you think it's you know, so good. good. Yeah. Is, is, is something that we're very familiar with today. I mean, we don't, um, you know, let, you know, does anybody learn, you know, nuclear secrets or military secrets? I mean, this is controlled information. It's classified technology. And so astrology, I think, was a good example of a, a classified technology at that time. Isn't that interesting? I was fascinated to read that. And yeah, I agree. There's lots of really fun bits through it. So I think that we can all experience your interest and entertainment and joy about what you were learning and then writing about. It definitely comes through in the book. I really enjoyed things like that. Oh, with the church, fate versus free will and why astrology did actually clash with the church in the end. I liked that you put that in there. <laughs> I always make a little note of that in my books as well because it, I think it validates, you know, astrology in a way of let's look a little bit closer then. Let's look a little bit closer and why might that be and what does that then say about this institution that feels like it needs to compete with something like astrology rather than just be in the Malu, would you be able to just say that briefly? Like if it was about, uh, yeah, the church says you need free will, but the astrology of the time was all about fate. So they well, Yeah, so I, sure. So I, I also think that that's a fascinating realization because I think it a little bit throws on the head people's perceptions of both what the church was doing and what astrology was doing. Mm. You know, it's, it's not just, let's say, the pig-headed church against you know, I don't know, more open-minded astrologers, in, in a sense, it's it's astrology that has this very ancient, ancient astrology is very fatalistic. Mm. It just believes in fate that, yes. that, you know, stars control your destiny. I mean, I've seen people try to argue this otherwise, but all the ancient texts that I read seem to, to me to speak to this very clearly. Mm. One thing I point in the book is I think one of the reasons that it spreads so easily during the Roman Empire is that the, the Romans tended to also be very fatalistic. They, they were Stoics, and, and the, the principal belief of, of Stoicism was that, you know, everything happened by, by fate, which, by the way, was, was considered very scientific, that, you know, everything just kind of operated according to mathematical and mechanical yes. laws. And, you know, you weren't 
privy to it, but everything happened because of the laws of nature. So in this regard, you know, astrology was a very natural science. Christianity is, is of course, very invested in, in free will. Orthodox strains of Christianity are, and that this set up a clash with astrology. One famous astrologer, famous mainly for, for getting burned at the stake for exactly this, but yes, the argument isn't about astrology per se, because there were many Christian astrologers. Yes. Uh, you know, even people like... Uh, you know, Albertus Magnus and you know, all these people have a deep interest in, in astrology as a natural science. But when you start to say it's, um, you know, almost this fatalistic mechanical thing that operates outside of, you know, God's will, mm. then, then that's where you get into trouble. Yes, you were saying, I'm um, just taking it back to basics with original sin. So then if there can't be the free will of deciding to do this original sin moment, then like what's the church's role then? Because how can you seek? Well, right. I mean, so, so, I mean, in some sense, free will, you know, having free will is important because um, how about this? In some level, you know, you have to create demand. Going going to, to heaven versus hell is, is uh, you know, I suppose a, a good way to sell something. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. I'm, maybe I'm being too, I don't want to blaspheme uh, too much. But free will is, is a core belief of the, of the Catholic Church. Mm. And it's, it's, you know, a lot of people, who knows, maybe they, they would find that surprising. But I think... Seeing astrology as the, the fatalistic one, I think, surprises people because mm. especially in 20th century and 21st century forms of astrology, many of which are sort of very transcendental, sort of embrace this idea that, you know, you can just shape the universe, shape, you know, your own destiny, shape whatever. And, and I think from an ancient astrological point of view, that, that, that would not have flown, mm. you know. I guess a lot of us in this society now, in Western society particularly, we do have a lot more potential for change. We do have more access to free will and, you know, America's built on that, really. It's like, and you know, anyone can make it. Whereas I suppose back then you were a little more stuck, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. oh, definitely sure. move around and become a citizen one day. But well, I think any any system that's very hierarchical and class-based needs to have some underlying philosophy of why things ought to be that way. Mm. You know, they're, 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 they're this way for a reason. Yeah. Uh, don't, 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 don't think that you can be up here. Because no. it's not possible. Uh, yeah. In, in, you know, the old Hindu caste system, right? I mean, why are some people exalted and some people untouchable? Uh, oh, well, it's something you did in your past life. It wasn't something, you, you know, you did. It was something that you did in the past life. Well, okay. I suppose that explains, you know, why, <laughs> you know, some people suffer and some people don't. Yeah. But right. I mean, it's, it's one. And and I think, you know, the sort of fatalistic thing is uh, it fits into that. But right. And and our modern world doesn't doesn't like to think that. We we like to think that anybody can can do or be anything, maybe <laughs> even to an extreme extent, you know, beyond the laws of nature. But yeah, well, yeah, well, that's where it seems to be going, avoid nature. I like that, you know, you had a convergence of your skill set already, which is your own personal cross-disciplines, which was you already knew Latin, so you were coming across things, you could read things that say, if I tried to do this, I just couldn't do it, so I only know English. So how did that bring all this together as well? Like, did you just come across things and that was part of what instigated this or you were just able to look through references that say I couldn't have done yes yeah, so, I mean I, I I've been a uh, taking Latin since 
I was a, a young kid. I mean, it's something I've always been a big part of my life. I've always liked it. And from a history of science point of view, I, I like it in particular because nobody reads anything. I mean, it's just shock. It's just always shocking to me, you know, like people read English and that, you know, so they focus on things that are written in English. Yes. And, uh, you know, there's just, there's just this enormous trove of, of stuff that, especially from the an ancient point of view that of course is written in, uh, most of astrology, by the way, be written in Greek. Um, so you don't have to, have to know Greek too. It made the research component. It was one reason why I felt like I uh, had the chutzpah to like a, a, a tag a topic like this. Yes. That, you know, I don't need to go through intermediaries. Uh, I, I can just go to the the source. And and so one thing, you know, how do you talk about it? How do you write the hist- history of astrology? It's mm-hmm. it's too big, right? So from the very beginning, I had to come up with a strategy for what not to talk about. Yeah. And, and how? So, so way, what was that? How did you do that? Well, so the, so the way I did it, and, and so right, I never wanted to say something like, well, astrologers believe this, or even astrologers used to believe this. I just don't believe that there's a coherent group of people called astrologers who yes. share a coherent, or, or, you know, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. Well, it's and, like you know. scientists, like I said before, they don't even agree with each other. So lots of astrologers sure. won't agree with each other either. So from the beginning, I, I said, okay, I'm going to, I sometimes in other contexts called it a, a a geologic survey approach mm. where I'm going to start drilling some boreholes in some, what I consider to be representative areas. So they're going to be, you know, narrow and focused, mm-hmm. but they're going to be deep. Mm-hmm. And so I basically, each chapter is devoted to essentially a different question. And each, for each question, I chose what I thought was a key author yep. who uh, had written about that. Now, these were also arranged chronologically. Yep. And, you know, I chose authors that I thought were important generally, right? They weren't obscure little authors. These are like, these are important figures for the history of astrology. And so, okay, I, I'm going to just, I'm not going to read everything that's ever been written on astrology. I can't, I'm, I just, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm it's not impossible. an astrologer. I'm not comfortable. Yeah. But I can read this person's book and I can read it with great detail. And in particular, I can read it in the original language. And so. Mm, yes. Very interesting. I've received a number of um, critiques of people saying, well, you know, you're using these words or this whatever, and I was like, well, yeah, that's because that's the word that this person used. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't know that if you didn't like read the original, but it's been translated so many times, or who knows what. In a similar vein, from the very beginning, it's why I said, you know, listen, I'm going to talk about Western astrology. You know, it's sort of ancient Near Eastern beginnings. You know, Greek, Roman, Arabic, medieval, whatever. And I, it, it, I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about except in passing Chinese or, 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 or Hindu astrology. Yeah. And simply because if I was to know anything about Chinese or Hindu astrology, because I read a book in English about it. Yeah. I'm implicitly mistrustful of, you know, that kind of um, translations. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's what I thought was extra interesting. And then you have bought a few and some astrologers do do this as well, which I always appreciate. And makes me curious about learning a bit of Latin. I wish I did. Maybe I will, but I've got so much else to do. Is, you know, you've said Sidus was Latin for star. So words like consider or suggest consult yeah. the stars, desire to wish upon a star, the Greek disaster, which I like to put in things as well. Disaster, dis meaning bad and aster meaning star, yeah, <laughs> which is great yeah. for squares yeah, and what happened in 2020. That's <laughs> a bit of a disaster with the stars as astrologers would say. And yeah, there must be so many more words and a really different spin on language when you understand the root words and then seeing how much, and you mentioned this in the book, how much 
astrology has influenced our language and how we speak and what we use. I, I think that's fascinating. And I think it gives a lot more respect to this part of what our culture is built on as well. Well, in that chapter that you're referencing, I mentioned how I, I centered all my chapters around a question. The question I had in that chapter is a question I've had for years and years, which is, when did astronomy and astrology become two different things? And because in the past, they never were. And so you'll read books, let's say in English. And if, you know, some ancient person is doing something which we moderns would consider astronomical, they'll, they'll, they'll refer to him as an astronomer. But if he's doing something that, you know, it can be the same person and, you know, doing astrological stuff, then they'll say, well, this is him writing about astrology. But he's not using two different words, right? It's, it's all one word. And so I was just deeply like invested in this question of when did these words split? Because from yes. the ancient context, you see them both just thrown about with um with almost no distinction. So this was my attempt to kind of understand the history of, of these words. But you know, what you get when you pull those threads is just more emphasis that these disciplines mm. were not, uh, although they recognize the different applications you know, predicting like a personal future, predicting, you know, a weather future versus, you know, trying to understand the mechanics of the planets. It was the same people who had this, and they would be, they would call themselves astronomer, astrologer interchangeably. Uh, yeah. And, and so just kind of underscored that in particular, the scientific revolution, which is driven by astronomy, is just as easily said, driven by astrology. Yes. Very interesting. Same people. And again, it's the, the cross discipline is really interesting. And I guess once it, maybe the knowledge went into some monasteries and they were able to use it in their own way, bringing in maybe a mystical perspective. And I find that enmeshment really interesting. And when I was doing some research for my book on prediction, Transits, Astro Power, I was looking at for each planet, I'd go back into a bit of history and I'd look at the actual, like I'd look up NASA and get a vibe for the actual planet and a few details about it. And that's where I sort of start things, which is interesting that how did these people back then know some things like, you know, Jupiter was seen as a big protector. And now we know that Jupiter will spin things out of collision with Earth. And how did they know that? It was still built into the themes somehow. I find that interesting. Anyway, I saw that Herschel, who discovered Uranus, spent a lot of time looking for aliens on different planets, <laughs> you know, hoping he'd see some. This an open-mindedness, and I really appreciated that. It's just not closing the book on things. It's like the way I like to think of things is I keep open files in my mind on a lot of things. And if I'm quite pragmatic, actually, I'm not someone that will just believe things straight off. If anything, I probably am more skeptical but what I'll do is, okay, I've just got that file now. It's open. I'm like a bit like that, but the file's still there. And as more information maybe comes through, it just goes into those files and eventually it might all come together and make sense. Yes. I hope more yeah, people well, do that. Know, a lot of these, uh, you know, people who I would consider my, my scientific heroes, uh, you know, when you learn about them, and especially you know, people like Newton and Kepler and these people from the sort of heroic age, they're all deeply, deeply mystical. Yes. They're into these, I think people maybe discount the extent to which science as we know it succeeds because it's sort of an art of, of asking questions that you can answer. But that doesn't mean that those people who were, were so great at it were only interested in those questions. They, yeah. they, they saw those as a stepping stone to the deeper, deeper questions. Yeah. So this modern sense that, hey, you can't even 
think about those deeper questions without being, you know, unscientific or something. Yeah, uh, exactly. It- and that's one of the most interesting things about looking back at these people, I think. And I do wonder how people can justify just cutting that bit off and not at least having a bit of an open file and thinking, well, you know, because maybe that was one of the reasons they were so great. They were holistic. They had open minds. And the deeper search is really that human search or that mystical search, I would think, like even that idea of wanting the certainty through science and data and provable, it's because you feel like you're out of control and don't feel safe in the world or whatever it is. It's all those very human things that I guess are what science is useful, but is not science is pushing that away, like that fear, like we're getting further to that. And as we were saying before, I guess it's the transhumanist, like where do you go from there? You go into this place of transhumanism where people are so afraid of this other unknown (laughs) that they think they can put their consciousness into a machine or a computer and that they will still be who they are. And it's crazy. I think that's insanity. It's interesting and maybe for science, a scientific person, but I think that they're missing a vital point about what and who they are essentially. I guess maybe, maybe it is very human. I don't know, but right. This, this sense of uh, wanting to, to, to live forever and to do all sorts of crazy things in order to live forever and I've never understood it, uh, but I, yeah, never understood it. It's, I understand, yeah, wanting to stick around for sure, but not, not, not in a body because you also, your body, like, I like the Buddhist view on, and sort of, yeah, that's kind of more Buddhisty, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, how they've looked at and defined a system of down to the days, down to timing, where once you die, this happens and the spirit does this. And once you're not anchored to a body anymore, if you haven't meditated and your mind's all over the place, you're like in a dream where you don't know you're dreaming and you're completely lost. So if to me, I like take that understanding to this transhumanist thing if they don't have their body and they haven't developed their psyche maybe or their mind or whatever that thing is that still goes on, they're going to be lost. They're not going to be anchored in their body. So, like, I just think disaster. Yeah. <laughs> Recipe yeah, for exactly. disaster and perhaps a lot of suffering for their whatever that part of them is that does go. <laughs> if you can put that into a machine, I don't know. Maybe they'll get there. You never know. You just you've got to keep that folder open, right? You can't I say never. I'd be wondering if it was uh, suffering for for them, but something somehow uh, I feel like all these things are going to cause suffering for all the rest of us too. But oh yes, yes, particularly yeah, exactly. Can I uh, just yes, yeah, dystopian? <laughs> I think. <laughs> But yeah, yeah so it, it it opens a lot of questions. It got me thinking, particularly towards the end when you're taking it into, again, like I said before, the machine learning and where all this is going with what our science and technology is compared to a technology of the past. I like how you strung all that together. It's funny because Taurus is seen as continuity. It's a sign of continuity that does bring everything together. I thought you did that really well with this book. So I do recommend people go out, learn a bit of the history, a bit of humor from a different perspective. 
a couple of other books out there too that would be quite interesting. I might put them in the show notes. I would hit up those. And is there anything else you would like to share before we go? Oh my goodness. No, it's, it's, it's been a thrill. I'm, uh, I'm seriously going to um, look for Astro Power. <laughs> Let me know what you think of it. I'm um, staying on the All line. Right. I'm just going to say goodbye to everyone. Thanks for joining the show again. Have a great month and yeah, get into your history. Look back, keep an open mind, keep those folders open and keep doing the astrology. Thank you for joining me today. This has been Vanessa Montgomery. For more astro and modern mysticism, find me at astroallstars.com. Remember that's stars with a Z. Take care and stay cosmic.